and welcome to Series 3 of Kvik Minderpod, an Icelandic cinema podcast. Back once again to explore the films of 21st century Iceland, I'm Rob Watts, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend Ellie Cawthorn. Thanks so much for your support so far, and for joining us for a third go-around. By now you've probably got the gist. We journey through the last two decades of Icelandic cinema to uncover unlikely stories and characters unique to the land of ice and fire. Before we get stuck in, a quick reminder that we're on social media and you should follow us. We're at Kvikminderpod on both Twitter and Instagram. That's K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D. And subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify now has a rating system, so if you do listen to us there, please give us a lovely five stars. And if you're feeling extra generous, we now have a Ko-fi page where you can follow and support us if you like what you hear. All our links can be found on Insta, Twitter, and in the show notes. Now, if there's one actor who could be called the face of 21st century Icelandic cinema, it's Ingvar Egert Sigurdsson. He's appeared on this podcast once or twice already, but for series three, we've gone full on Ingvar. Prepare yourselves. Ingvar pops up in this week's film, Lamb, or Dyrith, from 2021. Directed by Valdemar Johansson and co-written with the poets Schoen, this is one hell of a folktale. Set in the remote north of Iceland, the film stars Numi Rapace, two Icelandic actors we've seen before, and a character unlike anything we've seen so far. There's something very special about Lam, and it's clearly reflected in the response it's had around the world. Icelandic films rarely break out internationally, but in 2021, Lam became the highest grossing Icelandic movie ever in the US, and garnered a whole bunch of awards, including the Uncertain Regard Award at Cannes. The film is available in a beautiful Blu-ray edition put out by A24, which I own, and has just dropped on the streaming service Mubi. This would probably be a good time to say that we've partnered with Mubi to offer all our listeners a free 30-day trial of the streaming service, and thus the opportunity to watch Lamb, as well as Rams, Echo and Under the Tree. All of these films are showing as part of their current Land of Fire and Ice collection, and all you need to do is go to mubi.com slash that's M-U-B-I dot com slash K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D. And enjoy. And we're back. Hello. Hi, Ellie. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Glad to be back. Yeah, same. Glad to have you back. Who'd have thunk it? We'd be back for a third series. Nobody. Nobody, you know, I don't think anybody was waiting for it, but we're here. Uh, and we've got a whole bunch of other films to discuss, all Icelandic, mm. quite a few more recent ones as well. Yeah, I mean, we're starting with one of the most recent films to be released in Iceland, right? Yeah, completely, like Lamb, Dyrith, from 2021, which was, you know, absolutely massive last year. Absolutely massive and absolutely mad. Completely, it is, it is a mad film. Very, uh, I remember when we discussed it the first time, I used the phrase, what the fucky, which is a terrible phrase, but it still kind of is like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, but we did a little chat on about it last year after it appeared at London Film Festival. And since then it has been released into cinemas and had a great response. And I'm really excited to start this series talking about this having only done a non-spoilery chat last year. Because this film is all about the spoilers, really, isn't it? It is. It was so hard to discuss in any way without revealing the one kind of event that happens, which people have seen free to share no matter what. Can I say, I think there's two 
events, two spoilerific events okay. in this film. One... One is spoiled in the trailer. Is it? Yeah. Oh, that's so terrible. That's why I don't and watch trailers. And one comes right at the end of the film, and that's yes, the whole well, of the moment. I think if that moment had been in the trailer, <laughs> yeah. there wouldn't really have been much point in releasing the film. But we can go into all those things today, which is amazing. Um, should say, it was released in cinemas in December, but it comes to Mubi, the streaming service, on the 25th of February. So it's just come out. So you can get online now, stream it to your heart's desire, uh, and I suggest everyone does. And I guess we should say that we're going to be talking about spoilers right from the beginning of this conversation. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we do tend to just spoil everything. That's the whole point of a film discussion. Mm. But even in the synopsis for this film, it's hard to describe any of it without revealing a certain moment. So I might as well say that now, and then we can get straight into it. So, on a remote farm in the north of Iceland, I feel like I've said that a lot <laughs> on this podcast. On a remote farm in the north of Iceland, farming couple Maria and Ingvar go about their daily lives working the fields and tending to the animals. During lambing season, they are surprised to find that one of the lambs is a human-sheep hybrid, who they name Arda and raise as a human child. And there you have it. I mean, as you said last time, full of what the fuckery. That's basically, immediately, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I mean, what? Okay, big, big, you know, crazy spoiler, but... And, you know, that, that moment comes quite late into the film. What I love, though, about um, just doing a little synopsis like that is it gives you an insight into when they were pitching somebody to fund this film. Somebody probably had to have a pitch where they said, right, it's a film about set on a remote Icelandic farm mm. where then they have a sheep that's actually a sheep-human-child hybrid. And somebody went, cool, I'll give you a few minutes <laughs> to make that. <laughs> well, certainly A24 gave them some money. Uh, which is, a, it feels like the right home for this film. Mm, yeah. Um, sitting alongside films like Midsommar and uh, It Comes at Night and things like that. But I believe the film's inception came from director Valdemar Johansson's sketch that he once did of a human-sheep hybrid. You mean a sketch as in a drawing, not as yeah. in a, like a comedy not sketch? Not as in a comedy sketch, no. An actual little sketched drawing, which he'd had for a very long time. And one day was introduced to Sjön, the poet, who we spoke about in our non-spoiler episode and in our Reykjavik Whale Watching Massacre episode. Oh, yeah. Because this is the guy, Sjön, who has been nominated for an Oscar for his work on um, the song I've Seen It All on the soundtrack to Dancer in the Dark with Björk. He's written most of my favourite Björk songs. He's written, you know, internationally renowned poetry. He's, He's also written, written... The Whale Watching Massacre. <laughs> yeah. Um, not so well acclaimed, I'd say, maybe. I'd say probably not. And now we have this, which is very, very different from that, in inverted commas, horror. Because actually, while this film was sold as a horror film, I felt like it was marketed quite heavily to be a horror film. Mm. Um, and on first watch, that's what I was expecting. For most of the running time, I was like, when am I going to feel scared or something and you it's not really that is it it's got definite ominous elements it's got tension um threat yeah and threat that you know comes into a fruition at the end as we'll talk about i'm sure but yeah would i describe it as a horror it's more of a surrealist drama maybe yeah i think that's very this is very similar to what i wrote i think i wrote it's a kind of psychological family drama with a supernatural element 
Mm. Um, which might be a good way into sort of talking about the characters and where we start at the beginning of this film. Because the film initially picks up in like, for what for us is really familiar territory, doesn't yeah. it? We're in a cold, snowy field in the middle of nowhere with farm animals. In this case, it was horses. But it felt very much like the end of Rams. Like yeah. Rams could have ended. We could have just moved the camera slightly and <laughs> begun this film. Um, I mean, I think we should say at this point as well that we've both now watched this film twice. Yeah. And it's really interesting watching it a second time because I think initially when I when I watched this the first time round, I felt there was somewhat of a slow... It was a slow burn to mm-hmm. start off with. I guess the idea is that these guys live on this farm in the middle of nowhere and the point is they have this slow pace of life, very quiet, quite melancholy. That's the vibe that is meant to be created here. Yes. And I think until you know that something absolutely crazy is around the corner, you can be like, oh, come on, can we get to the action? But I think watching it a second time, you get a whole new perspective. Mm-hmm. Like the very beginning of the film, I learned second time round, ties into the very end. Yes, had you Which, forgotten the very beginning? Yeah. Because this film split into chapters. The, mm. the first bit is very much a kind of prologue. So we have this ominous camera just sort of slowly creeping through the field and then we end up in the barn, the sheep barn. But with heavy breathing. The heavy breathing is um, very eerie and very just ominous. And the heavy breathing as well, we're kind of from the perspective of the breather, aren't we? Yes. We're following. We don't know who or what is making this sound. We're almost breather's eye vision. Breather's eye vision. (laughs) I think you've coined a new phrase there, really. Sorry. I like it. Haunting. But I guess in the first viewing, I'd kind of just thought maybe this is some arty beginning, a bit like the beginning of a white, white day, you know, just very art house cinema vibe. And then the second time I was like, oh, Uh, I see we're following a certain perspective that makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense now. Yes. Once you've got to the end of the film and realise what's happened. And, you know, this is a film that begins in the winter at Christmas with sheep like these are things we are very familiar with within Icelandic cinema but this film is anything but what we've seen so far in that sort of context Once we've seen all this kind of eerie sheep barn stuff, we got to chapter one and we meet our characters, Maria and Ingvar, played by Numi Rapace, girl with, a, girl with a dragon tattoo, 
who we love, um, and Hilmir Snyar Gudnason. Who has fully redeemed himself in my eyes after 101 Reykjavik. It took him some time. <laughs> yeah. It only took 22, 21 years, but... I thought, I think he is absolutely brilliant in this. He is fantastic, isn't he? Mm. Um, as the kind of, it's hard to tell, and I especially found this first time. To me, it was like, why are we watching this couple who seem to have no love for each other? They're very cold to each other. And I was like, it just felt really awkward and I didn't know where we were going. But on second watch, it's quite clear something, they are married and they seem to be in love, but something has sort of put the distance between them which is crucial to this story. Well, I guess because we know, don't we, having watched it as it transpires that they had a daughter who yes. has died. Yeah, which is done in such a sort of slow and cleverly sort of paced way. We only catch glimpses of things that, you know, tell us that they've had a daughter. I mean, to say it does have some crazy content in it, everything in this film is very understated. It's yeah. very subtly done. So any reveal of anything, there's no kind of, you know, clunky exposition saying, it hasn't been the same since our daughter died, like some movies would have had. Yes, like it's... the start of um, I Remember You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of that. I was thinking of that. Um, everything is revealed in a very measured way that you're expected to be able to piece together uh-huh um, and and that's what i loved about the second viewing mm. because i didn't piece everything together the first time but on second view i was able to say oh i can see why they're yeah. so cold to each other but actually i can see that they still care for each other it's not that they hate each other and are just stuck on this farm because they've got nothing else to go and do it's because they love what they do they love each mm. other but something has happened and like you say, you get brief shots throughout. You get Maria going to the graveyard. Mm. And we this is much later on, but yeah. um, you get the shot of her at a little, a little cross that says, actually, it says, I translated the Icelandic. It says, angel on earth, angel in heaven, and has no date. So it sort of mm. suggests that they had a child, yeah. didn't last very long. We don't know. Um, and then we also get the really, really haunting shot of Ingvar running through the sort of uh, marsh mm. and screaming Arda's name. And for me, that's one of the most powerful shots of yeah. the film. It's just, it's beautiful to look at, but also intensely emotional. I think also on a second viewing, I understood that moment better. I think in the first viewing, I thought they were talking about Arda. In the present. Yes. Yeah. So that is an interesting question, actually. I feel like I got more from this second time round because mm -hmm. I knew where it was going and actually it kind of had a terrible pathos as well where you're like where you can see where it's all headed and also you can see all the clues and the signs but what do you think about films that I don't know if you need a second viewing on this but films that maybe leave you with a lot of questions until you have a second viewing and then a lot more makes sense should a film be able to deliver everything on a first viewing I mean should you have to watch something twice to I don't think you should, no. Maybe, but, but I guess you could reflect on it and go, oh, that, that, that. But it's things that you mm -hmm. wouldn't notice on a first viewing. Yeah, well, you, the other thing is, you, I'm sure you can spot all of this on first view. But the, all the expectations, especially around this film, all the expectation, I wasn't paying attention to the way that the, the couple related to each other. I was just sort of 
get get to the point where this is like mm. crazy um yeah. so i mean i've watched every film we've discussed on this podcast i've seen at least twice so with that second view it, it does help just to get things concrete in the mind but with a film like this where there's little dialogue and you are relying on remembering Tiny shots visual and, clues really. yeah i think i think it's quite important and i would suggest to everyone listening if you're not 100 percent sure about it after the first watch give it another go because it it does reward repeat viewings 100 percent yeah So let's talk about Maria and Ingvar then. Like we said, they're on this farm in sort of the middle of this really mountainous landscape, really isolated, getting on with the usual jobs of sowing the potatoes and tending to the animals, like I said. And we get to the most important part of the year, which is the lambing. Um, what did you think of those two as a couple? And then how did you feel about when they started doing the lambing itself? <laughs> um, so them as a couple just to jump ahead a bit i think that actually later in the film we get some really scenes which i think really help um the characterization of them so in the early scenes are very dour there's not much dialogue like you say it's all quite cold it's hard to get a grasp of exactly what they're like and mm -hmm. then later on uh, we have scenes where they're watching a football match and they get drunk they're having um kind of a laugh and a dance around and those, to me, were really... That was the point where I became much more invested in them as characters rather than as kind of like ciphers in a folktale. Sure. Um, and I thought that, well, Ingvar just kind of emitted this kindness and warmth and dad quality. Mm -hmm. Proper hot dad vibes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I thought he was... I mean, he's quite simple almost but they were both quite fairly simple characters so maybe maria was more complex I, I don't know yeah i mean from what we see they are living the farm life which often described as the simple life i guess mm. they repeat the same actions year in year out year on year so they know what they're doing and there's not much more to be done i mean in real life there was no mobile phone signal in that valley which i believe was about an hour away from Akuri in the north of the island so you can imagine there's not much entertainment i can't i can't imagine not having distractions you know mm. if you're working so much of the day to keep the farm going when you're not doing that you probably don't want to be doing much more anyway so it is kind of simple mm. but don't you th also think that simplification is partly it's kind of like a it's kind of like a folk tale, this, isn't is it? It's very much, It's a yeah. fairy tale. And even there's a point, which, again, I didn't notice in original watch of it, but where they're watching TV and she says, oh, what did he say? As in, like, just she missed a moment of the telly and he says, oh, I don't know, something about fa uh, folk tales. Oh, does he? Okay. Yes, which I thought, you know, everything's there for a reason. Yes. Well, while we're talking about that scene... Which has lots going on, actually. I know what you're considering. Say. <laughs> <laughs> considering it's a scene that is just two people and a half human, half sheep hybrid sitting watching telly. There's quite a lot going on, like you say. Firstly, I will say, <laughs> <laughs> I know there are two amazing actors in that scene, and neither of them are Numi Rapace or Hilmis Nagudnason. <laughs> One of them is Baby Arda's real mother 
Oh. Bleating outside the window. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I see what, see what you're doing there. I was... <laughs> um, who I actually think, if I had to give best actor awards for this film, that sheep actor would genuinely be up there in, she... co- in competition for <sighs> best actor. I completely agree with you. She was amazing so expressive bulging tragic eyes yeah like desperation so desperate so like give me my fucking child back yeah because this is a film obviously about family about parenthood about mothers and when they're lambing at the start they pull this lamb out of the ewe and they start raising it as a human child without any thought to what that will do to the lamb's mother but throughout the film, we get her like bleating outside the window, constantly coming back saying, give me my child back. And that's one of those scenes is there where they're like, for fuck's sake, let's just close the window and yeah, we won't be able to hear her. Um, but also in that scene, crucially, <laughs> they're watching a film. Yeah. Who's on the film? Ingvar. It's Ingvar Sigurdsson. <laughs> what a shock. Gosh, hello. You're taking my time. Right, so here is this is this is a big thing for me. So the three people that are credited on most of the literature for this film are Numi, Hilmir, and Ingvar. Really? I'm watching this film, I was like, why on earth are they crediting Ingvar Sigurdsson <laughs> He's in it for, for a two-second shot on a telly of him in a film that he made? 20 years ago okay it's a film we haven't seen i think called cold light from 2004 in icelandic it's called kaldolios um starring ingvar sigurdsson directed by hilmar odson i haven't seen it i don't really know what it's about but it's probably it's there that film and that shot is there for a reason so my thinking is the film has something to do with the theme of the film Mm -hmm. but also like you just said off mic is it a thing to do with selling the film like getting mm. a big name in it very possibly certainly when you see his name appear it's like oh even people outside of iceland know who he is mm. the th- there's a third reason which it seems a bit early to get into but i think he's in this film again <gasps> and we'll come to it do you yeah i do and we'll talk about it later on that would be, my mind would be blown if that's the case. <laughs> and I really hope that is the case. I mean, you haven't been able to find this out. No, nope. I'm going to put the and question. I'm going to try. I'm going gonna... <laughs> to put the question to Valdemar and Sean, and I'm hoping for a response. Hey, it's Rob just jumping in here to correct myself. Since recording this pod, I've discovered, thanks to the A24 Blu-ray release, that the film Maria and Ingvar are watching is in fact... Valdemar Johansson's short film Harm Saga from 2008. In 13 minutes, it tells a devastating tale of a family of five of which Ingvar Sigurdsson is the father. It's based on a story retold by Wilhelm Grimm, so you know it's going to be tragic. And bloody hell is it. It could almost be read as a sort of prologue to Lamb, and I find it mad that Maria and Ingvar would ever choose to watch it at all. Anyway, back to our chat. Talking about the things that are in this film for a reason. And the other thing I wanted to pick up on was you were saying how perhaps Maria and Ingvar are simple, but then Maria is in bed reading quite a lot. 
And then did you see what book she was reading? Yes, but since it had an Icelandic title, I thought that I'd get to this point and you'd tell me. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't but you didn't think no. I'll figure I'll do some research on that. That's your role in this podcast. It is very true, it is, and I did. Um it's Mikhail Bulgakov's The Heart of a Dog, which the Icelandic title which you didn't understand was Hundshjarta. Yeah. Dog's Heart. Okay. The Heart of a Dog. Um I did some reading. It's like a short story about a dog who is transformed into a human. Okay. Who then transforms back into a dog again. <laughs> and the way the way that he becomes a human is that he gets given human testicles. What? And then slowly becomes a human. I mean, the whole thing is some sort of anti-communist message, I think. I, don't, I haven't read it. And I, the background is very, very dense. But, you know, it's a, essentially... It's about animal human transfiguration mix hybrid yeah yeah i'm i'm guessing that it's it's that simple but interesting mm. if she's it's kind of like oh so she's reading this novel about you know this subject and it just so happens to happen in front of her in real life and they just yeah take just it go with as, it as yeah read like they're so casual about the whole thing i guess that's far. one of the most yeah. surreal elements isn't it of this film as we said, it's really understated. So obviously we know that they pull a lamb out and the lamb has a child's body. But they Well, we don't of... know that initially though, do we? Well, we know on reflection that that's what <laughs> happened. And they're both quite, as you say, casual about it. A little bit surprised. This is strange. Let's yeah. bring it into the house. But I guess, again, that's part of this. If we are going to view this as a folkloric tale. I think we should. It's part of that because in a fairy tale, if it said... And then the princess was transformed into a swan. Everybody doesn't go, what on earth? This yeah. doesn't make any sense. They just go, okay, fair enough. Yeah. That's what happens. And this is clearly in that vein. It, it in a way makes it less realistic, but in a way makes it feel more naturalistic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and the way they go about the whole thing, it makes it feel naturalistic because they take this lamb mm-hmm. and they... For, for reasons we don't initially know, they just, they take it into the house, which is a bit odd. You're like, well, it did look a bit dead when they pulled it out. Like its tongue was hanging out its mouth. I was like, oh, was a stillborn lamb, that's sad. And then very quickly it becomes clear. No, it's not dead, but they've taken it in the house and they're nursing it and it's in a tin bath. And I think what was interesting as well is that there is a big chunk where Arda has been born, but... We only see her head popping out of blankets mm-hmm. and things. For 25 minutes, we, that's all we see of Arda. Yeah. And actually, when we first... When the reveal happens, the big reveal, essentially, mm. that she has a human child's body. She's got a human body, a human <laughs> arm. It's But it's very um, subtly done, almost. It's just like a, a glimpse we mm. get. It's not a kind of big moment where somebody sees her standing there in the middle of the shot it's almost just like perfunctory yeah it's done like you say really casually because it comes after they've lost her doesn't it Mm. like this is this is the the big sort of thing that's hanging over them is that they've obviously lost this child we don't know how perhaps the child left the house and got lost and succumbed to the elements we don't know but when they can't find Arda that evening and they go running and Ingvar goes down to the river and Maria's off in the fields. And it feels like they've done this before and they're screaming like they have they know where they should be looking. Um, and then they find Arda with her real mother, 
the the, the amazing actress that she is. <laughs> I don't know if I don't think that sheep had a name. I'd like to know oh. if it did. Um, but she gives herself away. She they can't find her, and then suddenly she starts bleating. Well, like, that was a bit of a silly move, really, wasn't it? No, but I, oh well, there's a whole question because I thought that Arda wants to be part of the human family throughout. Oh really? Well, it's mm-hmm. not Arda that does the bleating. Oh, I think it's mother. her mother, which is even weirder. I mean, she is an animal. She might, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How, slack. I don't know how much when they're vocal they mean to be vocal. I don't know, but it's they find her with her mother, and that's the moment that we see the glimpse of the human lower half, and it is just done in one swift motion as Ingvar picks her up. Mm. into his arms and that's it and you're like oh okay that's what's going on that's what's going on now i understand i think you really see maria's maternal instincts at that moment where she's like go away yeah like so severe like i wouldn't want to mess with maria in that moment takes us on to an interesting point that Arda is a child's body with a sheep's head and a sheep's little arm thing, (laughs) which I think is quite different to a child's head on a sheep's body. Yes. So then is she, I think of her as more of a sheep than a child. Do you? And I, I, what's your take on how much she is a child, a human child, or human hybrid child with more human elements, yeah. or are they projecting that onto her because they have lost a child and they want that? I mean, that's the, that is a key central question to the film. I guess it's hard to know. Obviously, they want to raise her as a child because they've lost their child, their human child. She has human legs, so she can walk around, but she has, it's the head of a lamb. So how could it possibly have a human brain? I guess maybe we're overthinking it literally, aren't we? We, In terms of what it's... Sure, but she does seem to understand everything. Yeah, she cuddles a cat. She does a little dance. She definitely behaves... Okay, maybe I take it back. She does behave more like a child. And I thought that the the effects were well done in Mm. terms of giving her a kind of childish demeanour and air while obviously having a sheep's head. Yeah, completely. One of the things that I really liked about her being a child was that she looked like she was always on the verge of falling over. Mm. Like every time she waddled somewhere, I could picture the toddler Mm. just sort of gamboling around, just being a a toddler. And I do wonder whether they had, when they were creating the effects, whether they had a toddler do those scenes and then they like spliced it. Well, I can tell you. So basically... They filmed with real lambs. So anytime you can't see the lower half of the lamb, it's, it's a usually lamb. a lamb. It's a lamb's head. Um, 
And one scene in particular when Arda is asleep in Maria Ingvar's bed, that was a real lamb and they needed to wait for it to go to sleep. <laughs> so the whole crew piled into a into the house ready to film it, but they all had to just stand and wait for 20 minutes while this lamb fell asleep in the quiet bed. And then the actors had to come in and join her in bed, which is such a weird thing, mm-hmm. isn't it? So yeah, so they used real lambs. They used puppetry for the sort of longer, further away shots. Mm-hmm. And they used toddlers in green screen caps. So ah. scenes like when uh, Arda's at the dinner table, they would film with the child sat there, you know, doing the child things. And then they would set the same shot up mm. and put a lamb <laughs> in the exact point where the head would be and film that. And that's how they would do that kind of thing. So it was like a combination of real puppets, green screen, bit of CGI. Very clever. Very clever. And I think the overall effect works really, really well. Yeah, it does. And using toddlers, I think, really... I guess that's the thing that makes Arda feel like a human child. Yeah. Is that the way it moves and the the way she moves and the way she reacts is very much human Mm. rather than... I'm not even sure how a sheep would react in those kind of situations. She's very cute with a little flower crown on, especially. Oh, yeah. So we see Arda growing up, essentially, being raised by Maria and Ingvar as a child. We see her mother, like I mentioned, constantly trying to come back for her. And after that scene where they find Arda with her real mother in the field, Maria, she um, does something quite unexpected, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a protective mother, just like the sheep was a protective mother, but as a human... Maria has a lot more in her favour in terms of being able to deal with mm. the other mother. And we see her fucking, like, go and grab the ewe and shoot her. It's pretty brutal. It is, isn't it? You get one final shot of the ewe, like, one close-up of her face, looking like, give me my daughter, don't kill me. <laughs> it's quite quite sad. And then Maria goes and fucking shoots her and buries her. Yeah, I guess it's about that desperate maternal instinct yeah you know like i would do anything to keep and protect my child yeah this harmony that they've created now now they're a fully fledged family of three and don't you think as well the throughout the film there's this sense of nature wanting to claim arda back so Mm. Something I noticed on the second viewing is there's so many shots of open doors and open windows ah. where the where the landscape, this kind of rugged, wild landscape. Yes, you can see beyond, the mountains. And it's almost like calling. It's like, oh, look how good it is out here. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so true. And I think there was this, this like constant push and pull, isn't there, throughout the whole film of Arda being kind of like pulled back by nature. Mm-hmm. Don't you think there's a sense, I mean, we'll talk about this at the end, of... They have stolen her from nature, from like the the natural world. And the mm-hmm. natural world wants her back. 
Completely. And I think the mother was a symbol of that. She's there saying, come back to us, come back to us. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think she had to be dealt with. Dispatched. Dispatched. <laughs> yeah, she is. Yeah, she's she's causing a disruption to this harmony. So she's gone. But then almost instantly that harmony is disrupted again when we see this guy in a leather jacket <laughs> who is piled into a boot of a car left on the side of the road. He turns up at the farm as well. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, who is this guy? Seems a bit ominous. Shady. Very shady. And that's obviously Björn Klina Haraldsson, who we're familiar with. From the world's weirdest baddie um, <laughs> performance in Cop Secret. Yes, Lene Luger, which actually hasn't come out here either yet. And people will recognise him from things like Trapped and The Borgias. But he turns up and... He's a human, obviously. It turns out his name is Petter. And he's <laughs> I love that this film, you have to say, he's a human, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just in case it's not clear. If we don't specify whether someone's a human or not, assume they're a human. <laughs> yeah, that, I guess that makes sense. Don't assume they are part sheep. <laughs> <laughs> but he turns up and, yes, his name is Petter. He's Inga's brother. He's Ingvar's brother. And you're like, the first sort of sequence we get with him He's sneaking around the farm. You're like, okay, what are you doing? And he sleeps on the sofa in the barn. And he does catch a glimpse of Arda. And the first time I watched it, I was like, what did he just see? Turns out it's Arda in the barn. But he doesn't really register it because he's just waking up. But then the next scene we see with him is at the dinner table. Mm. This is the, the casualness of mm. Maria and Ingvar. that they This guy's turned up. He sat down for dinner with them and they just bring in their daughter. What do you make of that? Well, I was thinking about, again, that is the same fairy tale. Oh, we're just not going to make a big deal of it thing. But I was thinking about Peter's role in this story. Yeah. If we're going to see it as this folklore tale. Mm -hmm. And I guess he serves two purposes, doesn't he? One is that he kind of gives us an outsider's perspective of like, I'm sorry, what is happening here? Um, I guess he's sort of us to a degree. Yeah. So that's one side of it. And I think the other is just, um, you know, to rock the boat. Because if it had just been the two of them and Arda, they would have just kind of cruised along calmly. Whereas here, he he kind of throws the family dynamic off. Yeah. And I guess that's his, his role in all of this. Yeah, I think so. I think it's good for the audience to have someone to sort of side with almost. It's like, okay, it's not just me being weird, like freaked out by the fact this couple are just raising a child, sheep, human person. Um, but you're 100% right about this, the disruption. And he is the cause of the the end of the film. It's, it is ultimately because of him, I think, that the film ends the way it does. Okay. So obviously that first scene, he's like, I think he says to his brother, what the fuck is this? And Ingvar just replies, happiness. Mm. And you're like, okay. So he's happy that his brother is happy. But at the same time, he's like, this isn't perhaps natural. And he, I always, I found the scenes with him and Arda the most interesting. There's the scene where he's outside the barn, sitting in that comfy chair. And Arda (laughs) comes, you know, wobbling over. And he brings out her animal nature by offering her the grass. Yeah. And it's kind of the only time you see Arda as a sheep. Which maybe then leads to this idea that she could be a human. 
or she could be a sheep as in she's brought up by humans she'll adapt to that she's uh-huh. brought up by sheep she'll become a sheep nature nurture yeah yeah and i think just knowing that at that moment puts well it certainly put me on edge of sort of like mm. oh okay maybe she shouldn't be being raised by maria and ingvar i certainly ha- felt for her real mother mm. um but i don't see where this is now going mm. we, on second watch obviously you do but after that i said like, huh okay and then again there's the scene where he just can't understand what arda is and takes her out in the middle of the night and we get another shotgun scene yeah i feel like that was slightly too far almost it's very on the nose it's like Mm. you're doing something weird i must destroy it yes by killing her but then obviously he doesn't he causes this disruption but he also brings about the funniest and fun scenes in the film doesn't he yeah yeah the ones that I was saying earlier, I think really actually give you a sense of them as actual people rather than mm. just cold figures. Yeah, you get the relationships, you get the dynamics, you see Maria and Ingvar as people rather than just this couple mm. in, who are grieving and are, who are now raising a child. As a brother, as a lover, like <laughs> potentially. A poem. <laughs> a brother, a lover, what comes next? A mother. Oh? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I guess also it's definitely a kind of upping of the pace in the film, isn't it, this section? It is. It's kind of the only part of the film where there's noise, there's just constant mm. noise and it's fun and it feels like it could be, it could almost be in any film mm. that and not necessarily this brooding, silent, eerie folktale. And I, I think it's necessary I think I was glad to yeah. be able to let some sort of emotion and reaction go at that point. So I was glad to laugh. Before the final sucker punch. Yeah, well, that's and that's exactly what it is because you've you've had a bit of fun with the uncle. Um, <laughs> like, and honestly, when they put on the videotape of him yeah. as a, he's a, he was a wannabe pop star, I guess. I don't know how mm. su- successful he was, but that song's quite good. Yeah. And him getting up and doing the dance moves mm. just cracked me up. Mm. And it was so surprising. Yeah. And their reactions to him and they're all laughing along drinking and their reactions to the handball as well. Mm. Just It just showed them all in a very different light. And yeah. I just kept thinking, what on earth is Arda making of this? Because mm. she doesn't know anything. She has no concept of the world, of the world outside this valley at all. Do you think she'd be a good handball player? Mm, no, she's only really got one <laughs> usable hand. Yeah, the the hoof is probably not yeah. ideal for playing handball. To make me see, to make me see. Thank <laughs> you.
so how did you see Pieter triggering? Is that what you said? Triggering this final denouement? I think it all begins when he's like trying to push for a for a kiss or more, maybe more Creep. from Maria. Was there something there once mm. upon a time? I think possibly. I think maybe a mistake in the past. Yeah. But Maria's reaction to that is so good, mm. isn't it? When she sort of brings him towards the door, kisses him and then locks him in the room. <laughs> just like, look, we know where this is going. You're going to fuck up the harmony just like the you did. And she locks him in the room and plays that amazing piano piece. And at that point, we know she's got to get rid of him. Like, he's going to ruin everything if he doesn't go. Pieter. And so to avoid any more disruption to this harmony, Maria's like, right, we better get rid of you, uh, Petter, and drives him out all the way to the bus stop, leaving Arda and Ingvar alone. Mm. So there's no family unit at this specific moment in time. And because of Petter, he's driven this tractor fucking miles away into the valley, which has broken down. And so if he hadn't done that, would Arda and Ingvar be headed that far away? We don't know. I mean, it probably eventually would have happened. But I think it's he's there and to enable that moment to happen, to provide a reason for Arda and Ingvar to be sent that far away. And those two walking along together... Like her holding his hand and there he's explaining to her about... What is he explaining to her about? He's explaining to her the directions if you get lost. That's it, The yeah. mountain's on one side. If the mountain's on your left, you're going home. If it's on the right, you're going away from home. That's it, isn't it? And it feels like a proper bonding session. She's growing up and she's learning. And it just is such a lovely kind of father-daughter moment. On a second viewing, this bit really broke my heart i think because it's so peaceful and lovely isn't it it's it's the like you say the sucker punch of they've had this fun with uncle petter they've had this lovely chat as they're walking around and she's learning and the dad's teaching her and and then it all goes to shit (laughs) (laughs) i feel like you need to you need to guide us through the next few moments okay so ingvar and arda are walking up to the tractor it's broken And we see Arda just, you know, chilling out while her dad tries to fix the tractor. And it's quite, it's such a cute little shot, isn't it? Like, as any sort of child toddler would do, just sitting there playing with the flowers, you know, like, it's a lovely day, just getting on with it, like, dad's doing his thing. Maria's driving back in the Land Rover, ready to come and join her family. Now she's got rid of the threat, but he can't fix the tractor. (laughs) So it's like, well, let's go. See about the fishing nets. So they walk even further away. I don't know where that lake was. Because we did see Petter, didn't we? With Arda on the lake. Mm. I wasn't sure whether he was going to try and drown her or something at that moment. Mm. But it turned out just to be kind of a nice little bonding session almost. But Ingvar and Arda are walking up the hill. Maria's back home. Worried because she can't find them. I mean, I don't know why she... She does throughout the film kind of get these moments where she senses something isn't quite right. Mm. And it happens two or three times and she gets home and when it's empty, she's like, oh, shit, 
something's not right. And then we hear a gunshot, which is worrying because I don't think Ingvar had a gun. He didn't take a gun with him to the tractor or the fishing net. I hadn't thought about that. Where's the gun come from then? Well, it's their gun, isn't it? What, Arda and Ingvar? It's Ingvar and Maria's gun, I think. The Uh, shotgun that she kills the sheep with. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Which must have been stolen because at some point earlier in the film, it got stolen. (laughs) 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 Not sure how, but, you know, Chekhov's gun and all that. But they find the dog first. The dog named Dog, as all sheepdogs seem to be called. And he's dead, which is pretty grim and sad. Mm. But it's like, well, what the fuck killed this dog? And it doesn't take long to find out because that gunshot we hear is actually Ingvar being shot in the neck. Mm. By? By? (laughs) (laughs) So... By the beast. The beast, okay. I've just called him Sheepman. Oh, Sheepman. Yeah. Not even Let's Ram Let's talk Man. about him. Let's talk about Beast, Sheepman, Ram Man. So he's essentially like a very tall man, sheep. Wow, you've name... really, really described him in <laughs> detail. Sheepman sheep would. But I think he's clearly right. Okay, he's clearly a human sheep slash ram hybrid. Yes. Is that fair? But where Arda is cute lamb toddler hybrid he is gnarly creepy grizzled grizzled naked he is naked yeah intimidating very intimidating i mean it doesn't help that he's minotaur kind of vibe very much like he's something out of a greek myth isn't he Mm. or a icelandic myth Mm. although i don't think there is anything in the icelandic sagas that specifically relates or looks like the beast I call him the beast because the Icelandic title Dyrith means beast or animal. Uh, okay. So that kind of, for me, that made more sense. But yeah, he's a scary motherfucker. He's a scary motherfucker. And I think also because the supernat- the only supernatural element we've seen is Arda, who is a little cutie. Yeah. Um. So he comes from nowhere as a monster, really, doesn't he? He comes out of nowhere, seemingly nowhere. But it turns out we have heard He's him. He's been there all the time. He's been there the whole time. That opening scene, you were like, "What? I don't know what this is, or I've forgotten it. Mm. It's him, isn't it? He's mm. breathing. He's gone into the sheep shed. He's fucked a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to return to that opening sequence, it's obviously from his eyes that we're seeing all of this. And we get recurring sequences like that throughout. But obviously, we don't realise that we're seeing things from his eyes. No. Interestingly, we see the she- the horses kind of running away and then mm-hmm. we see the sheep barn and they all look really scared. They all pack themselves into that one area, don't they? Leaving the one you. Like a lamb to slaughter. <gasps> but I definitely got the sense, I don't know about you, that the animals were all scared of, okay, I'll call him the beast. Okay. They weren't kind of on his side necessarily? no. I'm I'm interested to know whether he's been back before and they know well, what I he's capable of. Definitely the dog knew he was around. The cat knew too. Oh, see, the animals in this film they... are all amazing. And the dog and the cat were so good at just sensing yeah. something is wrong. The cat, like, looking all, like... Mo- moody. Moody and just like, oh, what the hell is that? Kind of, <laughs> what is going on? 
Um, <laughs> and yeah, so they, they sense it. Whether they've seen him before or what, I, we don't know. It's so interesting on that second viewing as well, where you you can read that into the animals' faces. Yes. In that you think, okay, so Ingvar and um, Maria look like the dumb ones for not realising that this threat is out there. And also, don't you think there's there's a lot of shots in the film where we see the human family, but from quite kind of far away and like if somebody was spying on them, watching yeah, them. That's and a very good point. it's this sense of like kind of, he's been he's been there this whole time, just mm. like loitering around, waiting for his chance to strike almost. Yeah. I, I hadn't really thought about that because yeah, there's so many long shots mm. and part of me was like, oh, that's that's helpful for the, for the, for Arda, for the lamb, Mm. sheep kind of cgi or whatever it is but actually you're right like perhaps in a film in set in an environment where there were more trees or buildings that kind of shot would be half obscured Mm. by a brick wall or a tree and you get more of a sense that it was someone watching but i think that's probably true he's there the whole time Mm. and it makes me wonder why well maybe they just don't want to think about it but something has caused that you to give birth to a half-human, half-sheep hybrid. Miraculous intervention. There so were... why aren't they worried about the father returning? <laughs> there, ever? Were, there were two moments which really, which kind of stuck in my mind on a second viewing in terms of this. One was when there's a piece of rope, like a knot of oh, the, rope. The dog toy. I think that was the dog oh, it's toy. it's a dog toy. I think that's what Ingvar had thrown out for dog to go and collect. I think. But the cat and the dog were like looking at it as in like, oh. In that moment, it's the most sinister dog toy. But why is that? What what did you take to be the meaning of that shot? I guess the beast was somewhere nearby. Because <laughs> the dog, the dog yeah. goes and fetches it at least once and brings it back. And I think Ingvar says, one more time. And he throws it out of the barn. But then they won't go near it. Because the, because beast, is the there. beast is there. And we know the beast is there on multiple occasions, such as when Arda and the dog this see it. Was, this absolutely blew my mind that I never realised. There's a scene, yeah, when they're having the party in the house, mm-hmm. Arda goes outside and she, I mean, on first viewing, we just see her looking at something. Yeah. And I was like, okay, fine. But on reflection, when you know what's what's coming you can see him in her eye yeah if you look if you study it closely enough yeah which i didn't realize at all until the second viewing and also after that scene she goes back inside and looks in a mirror which was she does yes which is obviously her going am i hit am i like him am i a sheep man (laughs) yeah should i be scared of him Mm. or is he the most the closest thing to me yeah and should i seek him out kind of thing and it's really interesting that when he does show up she's not scared of him even though he's kind of shot her dad i think she's there sort of comforting ingvar Mm. but she doesn't run away she takes his hand and walks off into the distance i thought that was a kind of because she's a toddler she's not really sure what's going on and i took it maybe yeah in that final sequence she is wanting to stay with ingvar she like kind of throws herself on him and then he's holding on to her hand and she's, you know, holding on too. I didn't think she was like, 
oh yeah, screw you. I'm off with the sheep man now. I thought she was like, no, it's my dad. I want to stay with my dad. N- yeah, well, I, I don't think she was like, fuck you, Ingvar. <laughs> I'm going with that guy who's just killed you. I think she was like, and you know, this is me reading into a a, a lamb's face, whatever <laughs> I projecting onto it, as I think yeah. we probably all are throughout the film. But for, for me, it felt like she was like, she knew what had happened. Um, I think she finally, by that point, knew what a shotgun was and what it was capable of. And was like, right, I do love you, dad. But it looks like perhaps that's it. Um, mm. This man has come to take my hand. Like, and to the tr- I've got to go back to nature and I've got to go back to I, my true self. I want to explore that side of my heritage. self. <laughs> heritage. <laughs> yeah, to a degree. Let's talk a bit about how the beast looks then. Like you said, he's he's tall. He's like kind of dirty, but is he kind of ready? Um, what? He, he's kind of like a kind of grey hair. Who was it? I heard somebody talking about this on something that about how there's there's in the right context, there's not much more unsettling than like a naked old man. <laughs> and there's something yeah. true about that. Which can be very comedic or can be really off, ooh, uh, yeah, unsettling, I think yeah, is the word, yeah. out of context. And I think that has something of this, this has something of that in it. Yeah, I think the, what you're referring to there reminds me of the film It Follows, where yes. a lot of the imagery in that is just old people naked on roofs and things like that. <laughs> yeah. and that's terrifying, um, especially, yeah, out especially, of context. And especially if they're mixed with a strange ram hybrid yeah i mean horns for one are scary but you know what damage they can inflict i think it's interesting that the beast went with the human made instrument of death rather Mm. than what he probably could kill him with his head yeah um and also he's more human than arda he's Mm. got a ram's head but the rest of his body is human he's got two human arms and two human legs so i found that really interesting but and you think he was Ingvar Sigurdsson. Oh, you, you had to say. I was like, we've seen that body before, haven't we? <laughs> we've seen that we've naked seen, body we've before. We've seen that naked body showering and washing. It looks a lot like Ingvar's like belly. Yeah, now you're saying it. No one else is credited as playing Beast anywhere. Is he not credited in the... He's credited as man on television. Mm. And why would you... You wouldn't credit someone on a background TV in any other mm. context. 
you know, you're not watching an episode of TV and at the end it says, by the way, they were watching an episode of EastEnders. We better credit uh, Martin McCutcheon or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the right frame for it, certainly. I think it's him. And this is a call out to Sion or Valdemar Johansson. Please let us know one way or the other. Is it Ingvar Egert Sigurdsson playing the Beast? Because I think it is. I think it'd be amazing if it is. But I would really mostly just like to know one way or the other. Talking about the Beast more generally as a character. Okay. What did you take? I mean, to be honest, the whole movie is building towards that final sequence. And that final sequence is essentially the the entirety of the the plot and the point, right? The point, yes. What did you take that to be? Oh, God. I'll tell you mine if you want. Go on. So I guess it's just that idea that I was talking about earlier of they've stolen from nature. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of a folkloric tale, but also... I mean, maybe this is a bit of a reach, but that humans, we have like just taken from nature, haven't Mm -hmm. we? Just relentlessly, we've just claimed it for our own. And I think, I mean, there is a lot in here about the meaning of parenthood and motherhood and what is a family and what matters. But also I think there is that element of nature getting its revenge, nature claiming back. What is rightfully... What is rightfully is. is. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good reading. But wrapped up just within a kind of simple folklore tale, which it does feel like, you know, if somebody had said, oh yeah, it's actually based on a Hans Christian Andersen story, yeah. for example. You could easily imagine that. Yeah, yeah, or an Icelandic saga or whatever. Yeah, which is what I found really interesting, having found out it's not based on a saga, because I was like, oh yeah, makes sense. You know, lambs, sheep are so integral to... Iceland and its history and its way of life but it doesn't seem to have been based on anything which is quite cool that they've come up with their own original mm. folktale I don't know about the we've fucked nature but it came in came out at the right time for us to really be thinking about that mm. you know what as humans we've taken from the earth and then used it to kill the earth almost and you know in Iceland there's a lot of demonstrations about that kind of thing building dams and we discussed it with Woman at War and things like, you know, polluting the atmosphere with aluminium smelters and things. So it's a message that's close to mm. all Icelanders' hearts, I imagine. But referring back to the the beast itself, he didn't I don't, I don't think he had to kill Ingvar necessarily to take Arda back. It was a it was certainly a revenge mm. because I don't know how much the beast felt for the sheep that carried his child. But Maria killed the mother, so the beast killed the father. It seems like a fairly... Like for like. Yeah, it seems like a fairly like for like kind of response. He doesn't kill Maria. He could have waited around to kill her too. He just takes Arda off and... I wonder what happened to her. To Arda? Well, that's the sequel, isn't it? (laughs) Sheep. Maybe he killed Ingvar as well because... He was just a kind of, he was wild and animalistic, wasn't he? So, you know. Animalistic, but using a shotgun. 
Like, he, there's obviously more to him. We know that Arda can learn human language and has a brain that seems to be more than just a sheep's brain, which means he probably has the same thing. So maybe the animalistic urge, but done in a much cleaner way. He doesn't yeah. have to get in there himself. I don't know. It's... I guess it fits into, I know it's an original thing, but it fits into a long tradition, doesn't it, of kind of animal-human hybrids, minotaurs, mermaids... Mm-hmm. Um, werewolves. Would you have been so scared if James McAvoy had popped out as his character from um, (laughs) Mr. Tumnus? (laughs) (laughs) No, I would have been more actually possibly more disturbing because Mr. Tumnus is a big creep. Yeah. Nice scarf though. But yeah, it's so interesting when you watch it again and you think oh, this whole time he's just been like floating, skirting on the edges. Mm. It's like the idea of the Yeti or the Abominable Snowman. They're always there, just like hidden on the edges of human habitation. It's a massive what-the-fuck moment. Mm. Even though you you know something it's going to happen. This slow, eerie, ominous folktale that's just kind of, it's so quiet. The music only comes in at the scary, not scary, the sort of more eerie, ominous moments just to heighten things that little bit. So you know that at some point something's going to happen. And it just stays like that for so long. This film is like an hour and 49 minutes or something. We see the beast for approximately 30 seconds or something. Mm. And in the last two minutes of the film, but it's I, mad. I love, I love that, though, as a technique, really holding back. And then in the last five minutes going... <coughs> oh, going like that? Going <laughs> going totally bonkers. Yeah. It's, oh, it, it certainly just amps it up at that moment. You're like, after everything you've just seen, it's been so calm, relatively calm, to get in that shotgun in the face by a ram man. It's pretty great. So yeah, what an ending. That beast is... uh, What an ending. He's a monster to be reckoned with. He's certainly one of the cinema's kind of greatest looking folk horror icons. Mm. Oh, so much to take in. So much. Um, One of, I think one of, if not the best film we've covered on this actually, which for me, after first watch, I sort of wanted to give it the benefit of the doubt but I don't think I liked it that much, especially because I thought it was going to be this horror. But second watch, and I think I'm... Have I converted you to second watches? Yeah, possibly. For something as unexpected as this, then yes. Yeah. Second watch, absolutely one of my favourite films we've covered. So I'm very pleased about that. And I'm so glad we we are covering it in full now. Spoilerific details. Yeah. No way to discuss it without. Amazing. Well, what's in store next? Uh, something also very new. So we're sticking with 2021, which um, I really, really wanted to go way back to the beginning of the noughties. Because mm-hmm. this is, after all, a 21st century Icelandic <laughs> cinema podcast, not just a 2021 podcast. But the film I wanted to cover, Angels of the Universe, not available anywhere. It's not on DVD. It's not on any streaming. So someone needs to sort that out because that was that was my plan for episode two of this series and it's it's gone out the window. 
So instead, we're sticking in 2021 and we're going for a documentary. Very different to Grandma Lo-Fi. I think you'll enjoy it. Okay. Where will I see you then for this next episode? Not Iceland. Ooh. Mm. I might need some more directions than that, but see you there. I'm beginning to think that living on a farm in a remote part of Iceland might not be for me. But what did you make of Lamb? Was Arda's reveal as unexpected as it was for us? And did the beast take you by surprise? As I said, the film worked for me much better on a second view, and if you feel like re-watching it, don't forget that for 30 days you can watch Lamb, a host of other Icelandic films we've already covered, as well as an entire catalogue of brilliant movies for free using our partner offer with Mubi. Just head to movie.com slash kvikmindapod. Next week, we spend an entire film outside of Iceland for the documentary The Hero's Journey to the Third Pole, which you can rent or buy on YouTube or Apple TV. Until then, join us on the socials where we're at kvikmindapod. If you could leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that would be fantastic. And if you want to reward us monetarily, we have a Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash kvikmindapod. See you next week. Tack bless. Thanks and goodbye.